0: Lord, we thank you for your word that is timeless. Lord, that your word that speaks to us today, a word that we need to hear today just as much as the, the day it was first written. And uh, Lord, we pray you'd minister to us uh, that we would hear uh, the word that your spirit has for each one of us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just going to uh, share with you a few verses from John chapter 1 which begins in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning and then skipping forward to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So as we mentioned last night, Matthew and Luke share a Christmas story that is very much from the perspective of like a a reporter. They want to give us the details. They want to give us the names of the the people that were involved, the who and the what and the where and the when and the how. John also shares the Christmas story, but not from the perspective of a a reporter who's giving us all of the, the factual information. John is interested really in one question. Why? Why Christmas? What's the the meaning of Christmas? We know the story. We know the story really well. Many of us, I mean, from the, the moment we were born, we have heard this story every single year, and we could recite the story. We did this a couple weeks back in our Treasure Seekers and just asked the kids to share the story, and it was unbelievable how well they knew the Christmas story. We know the story inside and out, but the question that that John poses for us is why? Why the the Christmas story? And John tips his hand for us in the very first verse of John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the word. And that word in Greek is logos. In the beginning was the logos. That is a Greek word from which we get an English word, logic. In the beginning was the logic of God. You see, God didn't give us a carefully constructed, scientific, factual argument to to prove himself. Instead, he chose to give us a person. The argument for God is not an argument. It's not a carefully constructed scientific argument. The argument for God is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is a problem. Jesus is a problem for this world. A problem that we have to deal with. Now here's several ways that we can deal with the problem that is Jesus. We can decide he didn't really exist. Like this whole thing is a conspiracy. It's all made up. But that is probably the least plausible explanation because the event of Jesus' life his death, his resurrection, there is no other event that has been so transformative that has changed this world more than that event. So to acknowledge that, yes, that changed the world, but Jesus didn't really exist is just silliness. And so another explanation might be that Jesus is, he was a real person, but he wasn't the son of God that this whole thing about Jesus being the Son of God, it's a fish story. And so to to claim this, we'd say that the disciples, they really wanted him to be the Son of God. And so they made this, this up, they exaggerated. They knew that he wasn't the Son of God, but they told everyone that he was. Now here's why that argument falls apart those disciples are the same ones who died for the fish story. If I told you that uh, I caught a fish that was 16 inch, that was 20 inches, but I really knew it was 16 inches, it's a great story. I caught a 20-inch bass. But then if you put a sword to my neck and said, was it really 20 inches? And I knew it wasn't, it was 16 inches. Would I die to say, yes, it was 20 inches? No, of course not. These disciples died died terrible deaths because it wasn't a fish story. It was, in fact, the truth. And if it was an exaggeration, there was nobody who wanted to disprove it more than the religious leaders. And all they would have had to do is present the body, the dead body of Jesus. And this thing called Christianity is over before it even begins. So the problem of Jesus has a third explanation. He is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God, and it is the most difficult one to believe of them all, and yet it's the most plausible. He is the Son of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If that's true, as as we believe that it is, it's got some implications for all of us. John was thoroughly convinced that it was true. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then he says, we have seen. Like we've seen it with our own eyes. We've seen his glory. We've seen his miracles. We believe we've seen the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I wonder if there are any of you here who enjoy people watching. Do we have any people who enjoy... Yeah, let's acknowledge. It's so fun just to kind of sit back in the shadows and watch people and observe. I know it sounds a little creepy, uh, but there's, there's so much that you can infer about someone when you just watch the way they, they show up and the way they act and their mannerisms and the way they, they interact. But imagine if we're sitting at a mall and we're on a bench and we're observing someone and we're drawing all kinds of conclusions about that person and someone came up and joined us on that bench and asked, do you know that person? We would have to confess, no. I I don't know them. I mean, I've got a lot of ideas. I think they might be an escaped convict, you know, from the way they're at. But we would have to acknowledge, no, no. I don't know, know that person, because no matter how much you you watch someone, until you actually interact with them, until you actually exchange words, the way we are primarily known is through our words. Until we exchange words with one another, we really don't know one another. We just have ideas. And so God gives us what He says is the word. Why does God give us the word, the Logos? It's so that we might know him. He's given us the word so that we might know God. This is why Christmas, so that we might know God. Christmas speaks. There are things that God is saying to us through Christmas. One of the things God is saying is, You are not forgotten. I have not forgotten you. If we go through the history of the Israelites, there were multiple times where it would have been very easy for them to believe, God has forgotten us. let's go to Egypt. For 400 years, they are captives in Egypt. How easy it would be for them to conclude, God has forgotten all about us. But the scripture says God heard their cries. And at the right time, he sent Moses to deliver them. And then the story continues, and and the last prophet, Malachi, speaks a word of the Lord. And then God goes silent. No more prophets for another 400 years. And again, the Israelites could have concluded, God has forgotten us. But at the right time, God sends his son and enters into humanity. The word becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. Perhaps there are times in your life where you believe God's forgotten me. But just some of the things that are happening in my life, it seems like God has gone AWOL. He has no idea what's going on in my own life. And, and I can assure you that, that God has not forgotten you. Christmas says so. Christmas also says you are not alone. It says you're not forgotten, and it says you're not alone. Back in 2008, there was a a thing that happened in Connecticut that I'll never forget. There was a, a man who was crossing the street in Hartford, Connecticut, and he was hit by a car, and it was a hit and run, and the car sped off and left the man lying in the middle of the road. And there were bystanders that watched the whole thing happen. There were people from uh, apartments looking down to to see what happened. But not a single person went out into the middle of that street to help that man. They just let him lie there. This was all caught on, on cameras, on traffic cameras. And so later, people were asked, why? Why did nobody... Do a single thing. And the answer was because this is a dangerous part of the city. And and to to go out into that road is to involve yourself. And it's to make yourself vulnerable. Nobody was willing to make themselves vulnerable. And so that man lied in the middle of the road all by himself. Through Christmas, God says, you're not alone. I'm not going to stay up in my heavenly apartment my throne room in heaven, and just watch from afar. I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna enter into the story. I'm gonna walk out into the middle of that street to help you. I'm gonna make myself vulnerable. I'm gonna make myself killable for you. You are not alone. Christmas says you're not forgotten, you're not alone. Christmas says you have a savior. We have a savior. Jesus said, I did not come to the world, this world to condemn it. I came to this world to save it. Jesus came to a, a sinful world. He came to a sinful people. And he doesn't come to us on the condition that we must first clean up our act. For a lot of people, that's the gospel that they, they have in their mind is that, yes, God will, will love me if, fill in the blank, God will love me if I get my act together. No, the gospel is that God comes to us in our mess. He comes to us in our our slop. I I love the the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, If you were to pin me down and say, what's your favorite passage of scripture, it would be this, Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. But as much as I love that parable, it is not really the entirety of the gospel. Because in that parable, remember the youngest son goes away, and makes a mess of his life. And then he's in the pig slop, and he comes to his senses, and he goes home. And when he goes home, the father welcomes him with open arms. It's beautiful. But I think Luke, in Luke chapter 15, is actually trying to tell us something else. Because before that parable, there's two other parables. There's the parable of the the shepherd who has a 100 sheep And one of them wanders off. And what does that shepherd do? He leaves the 99 to form a search party to go out and find the one. And then the next parable is this woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. And she begins cleaning her house like crazy to find that one coin. And then comes the parable that's not about a sheep. It's not about a coin. It's about a person. And this person gets lost. And the question we ought to ask is, who went looking for that person? It's noticeably absent in the third parable. There was no search party. Now, fortunately, he came to his senses and came home. But we're left to to fill in the gap. Who is the search party? Jesus is the search party. This is why Jesus came to this world, to to find lost sinners. He doesn't just wait for us to to figure things out, to clean up our act, to come to him. No, he has come to find us, to save us. And then he drafts us into the search party. The older son probably should have been out trying to, to recover his younger brother. Christmas says you're not forgotten. You're not alone. You have a savior Christmas also says you're loved. This is all prompted because God is a God of love. For God so loved, for God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only son. The the way you tell the value of something is how much somebody is willing to pay for it. How much does God love you? Enough to send his own son to die for you and to die for me. And that makes all the difference. When you are loved, when you know that you are loved, you show up in this world differently. There's a a sense of security. There's a sense of assuredness. There's a a rootedness. We are not one mistake away from God saying, whoops, I, I don't think I love you anymore. God is not that temperamental. He loves us not because of something rooted in us. He loves us because that's who he is. He is the the God of love. And so Christmas speaks. It says you're not forgotten. You're not alone. You have a Savior. You are loved. And because all of those things are true, we end up where we were last night. Christmas says to us, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. No matter what it is that you're going through right now, you are loved. You have a Savior. Your future is secure. You're not alone. You're not forgotten. Everything is going to be okay because Act Four is coming. Restoration is coming. And when it comes, when Jesus returns, every wrong will be made right, every wound will be healed. And every tear will be dried. Christmas promises us that the day is coming when we will truly live happily ever after. Join me as we pray. Father God, these things are true. uh, And yet we are so frequently deceived into thinking that they're not true. Lord, we often think that we are alone, that we are forgiven, that we're not loved, or that our our sin is being held over our head. Lord, when we are being deceived, we pray that your spirit would break through that deception with your truth, that we would hear your word loud in our ears. We thank you for such a great love, for such a great Savior. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.